Well, we've been in this series called Head On, and it's been a, a series where we've literally been trying to tackle some of the great thieves of the heart as we've been looking at things such as like guilt and anger, and uh, we'll be looking at greed and jealousy, and these are all uh, great uh, challengers of our hearts, and we have to be careful that we are aware of how to manage these emotions when they come inside of us. I think all of us at some point in our life, we're, we're, we deal with guilt. All of us in some point of our life, we deal with anger. All of us at some point in our life, we deal with greed. And yes, that uh, green-eyed monster, uh, jealousy, uh, impacts us as well. And our hope is that through this series that, that we'll at least have some tools to know what the Scripture says of how we're to not just measure into these things, but how we're to transmit them into our lives so that our lives are truly a greater thing. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about guilt, and guilt are those feelings that, that we hold inside of us, and, and they bother us so badly, and guilt kind of speaks those words that I owe you something. And I shared with you how we have, uh, over time, seen guilt just as a way of uh, using confession as a way to make ourselves feel better, but that we're really charged with not only asking God through confession, but we also need to confess our sins to one another, that we need to be brave and bold enough to go to the persons that we've harmed, the persons that we're in trouble with, the persons that we are just distressed in our relationships and look them eyeball to eyeball and say, forgive me for what I have done for you. Pastor Pam last week talked to us about anger and, and shared with us how those emotions of anger can really be distressing to us and that if we don't manage our anger properly, anger can lead us into sin. And sin is something that just separates us from God. And she shared with us that, that anger is that basically when we look at somebody, we say that, that you owe me something because I'm angry at you and you owe me. Well, today I'm going to talk to you about greed. And greed is one of those subjects that's uh, very interesting. In fact, greed is a subject that if we look at it and we really um, uh, dismantle it, uh, it's, it's one of those things that we can see that maybe some of our preconceived notions of greed may not be even real anymore. But what is it that the scripture says and what does Jesus have to say about greed? Greed is interesting because greed is one of those things that you feel like you've worked really hard long enough in your life that whatever it is that you have and whatever that abundance is that you have or whatever treasures like Robert talked about earlier that you have, that, that it's owed to you that it's yours, and that it's all because of the hard work and the things that you've done. Now, I've, uh, greed is one of those things that says that, that I owe me, that I owe this to me, and because of that, I'm greedy, and I want to hold on to that. Uh, it's interesting in that I, I know greedy rich people, and I know greedy poor people. So, so greed has nothing to do with a socioeconomic advantage. Whether one has a lot or whether one has a little, one can still be greedy. Greedy isn't a financial issue. It's actually an issue of the heart. And when we examine what the scriptures say this morning, we'll find out what it means when we're greedy and what it means to our hearts when we enter into those seasons of greed. Financial gain doesn't make greedy people less greedy, does it? Uh, it's, uh, it actually sometimes makes them even more greedy. Financial gain or loss doesn't change anything because greed isn't really an external thing. Greed is all internal, and it comes from the heart. One thing that I've come to know is that all greedy people have one thing in common. 
Uh, they may not have in common their vast amount of riches. They may not have in common their abundance of their possessions and wealth. But, but uh, being greedy and the commonality of greedy isn't that we all have the same number of things or the amount of things. But the one thing that I find that greedy people have in common is fear. Say that word, fear. Fear can overwhelm us, can't it? Fear can devastate us. In fact, fear is one of those kinds of emotions and thoughts and things that we have in our heads that if we're not really careful, fear can make us make decisions in our life that, that long impact not only our life, but the lives of the people who are around us. But once you pull back the, the, the excuses and all the things about what goes on with greed and when people have fear, what you begin to reveal are all of the what-ifs of life. And when we begin to start asking those what-if questions, we need to be very careful because the likelihood is that we are on the margins or the threshold of moving into a life of greed. What if I run out of money? What if my house isn't big enough? What if I don't get the promotion? What if she has more than me? What if she is loved more than I'm loved? You see, those what-if statements oftentimes get us in trouble, and specifically, people who have greed in their hearts, the reason why they're fearful is they're fearful because they believe deep down that God cannot take care of their need. And if God can't take care of their need, they think, then nobody can take care of their need. And that's what motivates a lot of greedy people to go out into the world, to start acquiring not just things of the world, but, but, but other attributes of their life, because the more that they feel that they have, the more that they can surround themselves with, it makes them feel like that they can be taken care of by all the things that they have around them. And those kinds of things misalign with them. And they think, if I just have all of this, then I will be cared for all of my life. We quickly learn, like all appetites, the appetite for more money or more financial security can never be satisfied. And in the end, we'll always want more. And that's something that's kind of ingrained in a lot of us, that we're not satisfied with what we have, and we make our whole lifetime ambition focused on what we can collect and how we can collect even more. Well, Jesus had something very powerful, very powerful to say about what all this is about greed. Jesus said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Watch out, be on guard. What does it mean to watch out for? What does it mean to be on guard? When we're on guard for something, we need to protect. We need to protect that which is most um, uh, of greatest value for us. Jesus is saying, protect your heart, be on guard. Do not let your heart fall prey to all kinds of greed. And it doesn't have to just be money. It can be status. It can be all sorts of things. And he says, be on guard against all these things of greed. Do you want to guess why Jesus began speaking to people with this great warning? Do you, do you want to know why his conversation as he began was so important that he spoke those words? Watch out, be on your guard, and guard against all kinds of greed that may come. He knew back then what we learn now. He knew back then what we're constantly discovering today. He knew back then what we should know better today. And he was communicating that in a powerful way. Because greed can move into our hearts so very quickly. Greed can come in and set up its residence in our very heart. And greed can begin to start distorting the very image of God that lives within us. And if we aren't careful, greed can become 
the God that we serve. Whereas you and I might think differently, Jesus goes on to identify the energy source behind all greed. And he says this, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life doesn't exist by how much you have. Life doesn't exist by all the things that you have. Possessions cannot measure the worth of the life that we live, Jesus says. Think about it. Aren't we supposed to already know that? But, but for a lot of us, it, it's the equivalent of that we've been raised under this um, ideal system that we need to succeed. And in order to achieve the American dream, which is what's been drilled into so many of us, it's all about possessions. It's all about greed. In fact, one of my favorite movies when I was growing up had Michael Douglas in it. It was called Wall Street. Gordon Gecko. do you remember his famous line? Greed is what? Good. So we see all these things happening to us. But from here, Jesus launches into a parable of a wealthy landowner. And he begins to talk about how this landowner has this property that produces a massive amount of wealth. It produces an abundance of crop. It is much larger than the landowner could have ever anticipated in his entire life. And his abundance and this over ability to produce in the land and the crop that it did created a huge dilemma for this landowner. What was the dilemma it created? He had this huge harvest and he began to look around and he thinks, what will I do? How will I store all these crops that I have? What am I going to do with all this stuff? They make TV shows about this. It's called hoarders. What will I do with it? Where will I put it? I have so much. Look at all of these things. A couple of weeks ago, I introduced to you uh, my Uncle Jim in a, in a sermon. And he's a farmer. He's in North Florida. And he told me a long time ago, he said these words. He said, you know, we think that the farmers are so grand in a sense that they produce all these things. But he reminded me, he said, Bob, the farmer is not responsible for the production of the crop. The farmer is nowhere near responsible for their success at all because the portion that the farmer has is a very small portion. Who has the greater portion in producing the crop? God does. So he said the abundance of a man's harvest has little to do with the farmer's hard work. And farmers are always at the mercy, he told me. They are always at the mercy of factors over which they have no control. But when we are persons of greed, we see no significance of that. We don't believe that at all because what we begin to see is it doesn't matter who else might have participated in it. We have earned it and therefore it is ours. And since the landowner believes that he's earned his abundance, not once does he consider the notion that God might have a plan for this abundance that he has. Instead, the story tells us that he looks inward and he begins to see this newfound wealth in front of him. It never crosses the landowner's mind that the extra that he has been blessed with is intended for anybody's consumption but his own. And yet he never sees this. God is the sole source of everything that the landowner has. So the question that the landowner should be asking is, Lord, what do you want me to do with this abundance? Let's play Simon Says for a second. Let's repeat that. Say this. Lord, what do you want me to do with the abundance? Now let's say it like you mean it. Lord, what do you want me to do with the abundance? 
And that's the prayer, that's the question, that's the focal point that we should find ourselves as we see ourselves in the story of the rich landowner. But this isn't how greedy people think. And to be honest, that's not how a lot of us think either. We get a little extra and what we think is like, woo, we got some more. What are we going to do with it now? We're going to go on a vacation. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. How are we going to spend it? We're going to go buy this, go buy that. And that's the way most of us see things. But God says, be careful. Take a look at the abundance which has been given you. If you deserve it, then use it in a way that brings glory to me. So we store it up. We do exactly what the landowner does. You and I make those decisions every day to store up the treasures that we have. Let's go on with the story. What can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. And then he says, here's what I'll do. Felix read this to us earlier. Here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and what? I'll build bigger barns. Then I'll gather all my grain and goods and I'll say to myself, self, you've done so well. You've got it made and you can now retire. Take it easy. Smoke some cigars. Have a party. Whatever the case is, have a time of your life. You see, that's the trap. We get to that point in our life where we get soft about it. And we think about, wow, look at all this that I've been given, all this that I've had. I've been a good saver. I've crimped this dollar and that. Look at everything that I've masked up. Look, I need to build a bigger barn because of all the stuff that I have. And that's exactly what's going through the landowner's mind. He does not have anything in his mind at all about giving thanks to God for the abundance, let alone what God may have planned for the abundance that God gave him. But he says, I need bigger barns. And it's called bigger barn syndrome. And he gets to the point where he says, if I could just build a bigger barn, look at what I have. Do you know what the fastest growing industry in our nation is today? Storage centers. Storage centers. Public storage centers are the number one, is the number one or the fastest growing industry in our country today. We pay big bucks to have someone else store our stuff for us. We pay big dollars. And what kind of stuff do we have in those units? It's the stuff that no longer fits in our three-car garage home. And we just give it and we put it in there. But, but what's the value of the stuff that we keep in those storage units? I'm willing to say it's mostly junk, right? Because if it really meant something, why would you put it somewhere else far away from your house where you can't get to it? So it really has no value. It really has no worth. And we, we put it there because we feel like we're somebody who doesn't have enough. Therefore, we must store it in. But yet, when we get more stuff, we get bigger storage units. And we begin to pay even more money from that. You see, after declaring his intention to go build a bigger barn, the landowner offers an explanation as to why he's chosen this course of action. He's going to justify why he needs a bigger barn. Keep in mind, greed is always wanting to look good behind closed doors. Greed is, is, is always wanting us to think that there's a good motive 
behind the action that we're taking outwardly. For instance, this man has decided to build bigger barns because maybe he wants to save for his future. Maybe he's calculated that if I have this much wealth by the time that I die, or as I'm getting older per se, then my kids won't have to take care of me. You know, Patty and I went through a plan and a process not long ago where, where we updated our last will and testament, where, where we began to see what little we had and how we wanted those things to be distributed. And we wanted to make sure that we were up to date on everything. So, so advanced planning, there's nothing wrong with advanced planning. But the question becomes, do we become hoarders with it or are we going forward for the greater image of God? Now, if the story ended on that note that he's just saving for his kids, that he wants to make sure that he's not going to be troubling to them in the latter years of his life, many of us would say, that guy's a hero. He's taking off the financial burden from his kids. He's making sure he's got enough money to pay for himself. He's insured. He's all of those things. While, that's in tr while it's true that the landowner planned ahead, he didn't plan far enough ahead. You know, what we find out from the story was he's right. He did need to consider his future, but not in the way that he thought. He was presuming he had all these years left in his life, but in reality, he didn't. He had looked over the God factor when evaluating his good agricultural fortune, and the landowner overlooked the God factor when counting on how many years he had left in his very life. He assumed that his abundance of stuff assured him an abundance of time. So the landowner thought, well, because I have all of this wealth massed, it must mean that I'm going to live a long time. But what we find out is that's not true at all, because something significant happens. The very day that the landowner makes the decision to keep everything that he's ever earned, guess what? He loses it. Or maybe more accurately, it lost him. Just as the man gets off HomeAdvisor.com and he's looking and examining the quotes of all these contractors who are going to build him a bigger barn, just as soon as he gets done with that, he's printed off the quote, he's evaluating, he's looking at it, he receives the most shocking news that one can ever receive. He's told that he'll die sometime that night. God reveals to him, you will no longer live past this day. So all that you've done doesn't matter anymore. Uh, he's about to learn the hard way that this life is not equivalent to the amount of possessions that we have. He's beginning to learn the truth. He's going to learn very quickly that he's going to run out of time before he runs out of stuff. So as it turns out, the landowner is more dependent on God than, than he ever thought he, he was, ever thought he could realize that he was. The landowner was dependent on that. He was entirely reliant on God for the allotment of time in life, and too bad that he didn't see his dependence on God as necessary or as needed as he truly should have. When God delivers the bad news, he asks the landowner a question, and he says, this question, which is loaded with implications that you and I have to assess as well. Here's the question. God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Did you catch that? Then who's going to get what you've prepared for yourself? It's, that's the question that a lot of us don't think about when we begin to start becoming greedy in our lives. Who's going to get everything when we can't? Here's the answer. 
Somebody else will, not you. So as hard as you work, as hard as I work, as hard as we work to have stuff in this world, we learn the truth. Someone else is going to get it. We're not going to get it. Even though we thought we've earned it, we've worked hard, it's not going to go to anybody who's deserved it. It's going to go to someone else. And in the end, all of the man's possessions will be distributed to others. Not because he's generous, but because he's dead. And those possessions will be given away. This parable of, of, of the rich fool uh, directs our attention to an obvious but overlooked reality that's in our life. Eventually, everything that we claim that we own, everything that we claim that we own, eventually will be owned by somebody else. In the end, it will all be given away. In the end, we will have nothing. It will all be given to us. So to, so to assume that everything that comes our way, because we work hard for it, we've saved for it, we've built bigger barns, we've done all these things, it's there, it's for our own consumption, Jesus would look us all in the eye at the same time and say, you are short-sighted and you're foolish because it's not yours. It's not a matter of if somebody will get it, it's a matter of when and how. And it will be distributed when your time runs out. These are some valuable things that we're learning this morning from this, from this parable. And Jesus closes the parable with a stern warning. Listen to what he says. This is how it will be with, whatever store, with whoever stores things up for themselves, but who is not rich toward God. This is how it's going to be when you store things up for yourself and you're not rich toward God. Everything that you have collected your entire life that means so much to you is taken away just like that. And it goes to somebody else. And you can't, it's not yours. And so Jesus issues that one. So Jesus' definition of a greedy person is a person who stores things up for themselves but isn't rich towards God. Now, listen to this. It doesn't say that we can't have wealth. That's not what he's saying. But the moment that we are not rich toward God with what we have, that's the greed. And that's the rub that it comes here. So a greedy person is a man or woman who saves carefully, but gives sparingly. But that's the warning that he's trying to convey. What he's saying will happen to you and me is that generous savers need to become generous givers. And will, will death be what changes that? The answer is no. Because I've known some very generous people whose lives were cut short by death. So death doesn't mess with that. And I've also known some very non-generous people who are well up in the years of their age and to the chagrin of their families are still holding on. So death isn't the answer for that. But the real moral of the story is those whose eagerness to store up material goods outpaces their willingness to give will suffer complete and total loss when their time runs out. That's what we learn from this parable this morning. The landowner suffered a total reversal of his fortune at death. He lost everything in life, and he had nothing to show for it in the life to come. He lost everything in this life, and he had nothing to show. He didn't just lose his life, but he lost everything that he considered life. He was rich in this world, but he was poor toward God. 
because everything that came his way, he consumed himself. Now here's my question. Is this an issue for you? Are you like the landowner? Are you working so hard to amass your own wealth? When things are favorable, do you praise yourself for the great decisions that you made, the higher levels of education, the way that you've outsmarted the systems? Do you give praise to yourself as you look at all the wealth that you have and you amass and want to build bigger barns? Or do you give glory to God and thank God for what has happened? Do you, do you make, uh, are you quick to make excuses when it comes time to give back to God? Do you quickly make calculations as to why I can't give because I've got this, 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 and this, and this, and, 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 you, and you want people to know that, that you really looked at it, but really you can't do it. But in reality, what you're doing is you're hoarding. You're greedy. You keep it for yourself. When we do give, do we feel like the recipient that we're giving to owes us something? Are you the kind of giver that when you give to somebody or something or even your church, do you feel like, well, the church owes something to me because I gave that gift? Is there some sort of string or agenda that you have through your generosity that it can only be used for this? I'll only lend you the money. I won't give it to you because you have a need. And I expect repayment with interest. Or is it a gift out of generosity and love? In the words of Jesus, the landowner is a fool. A fool that most of us would have envied had we known him. Because we would have said, look, he's planning, he's taking care of himself. We want to emulate that, but he's still a fool. The landowner was foolish enough to believe that the abundance of stuff meant that he had an abundance of time. He was a fool to assume that his good fortune was a result of his hard work. He was a fool not to give to the less fortunate from his own abundance, knowing that they would come when everything, the day would come when everything would be taken from him and someone else will have everything that he had collected. Mignon McLaughlin wrote the second neurotics notebook. This is a great quote. He says, your money or your life? We know what to do when a burglar makes that demand of us, but not when God does. The parable of the rich young fool does two things this morning. First, it defines greed from God's perspective. Second, it offers a remedy. The problem with God's definition is that it's a, it's a bit broader than, than most of us are comfortable with. And the words make us very uncomfortable and we squirm. The problem with God's solution is that it's unavoidably practical. But simply stated... The solution is a habit, a habit that has the power to free us from greed. It's time for you and me to confront greed head on and to be the person that God has created us to be.